Hello and welcome back to Vox Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Alondrum Hannah. How's it going, Hannah? My lawn is mowed down. That's hey. cool. <laughs> I, you haven't been on in a while, so I don't know. I mean, I know what you're talking about, but like, I think that you haven't been updating the audience on you you are fully moved into your new home you have embraced your life as landed gentry that sort of is that what we've done we've become the landed gentry applause monocle i have become the landed gentry (laughs) i mean i get i guess it's closer than you have been in our host chat you have been in our ongoing persistent chat room you've been telling us that you were worried that you know the lawn was going to overtake you and become a massive jungle that forced you out of your new home so i'm happy for you that you've taken care of that problem i also have a freshly built box (laughs) i mean josh at one point (laughs) compared it to jurassic park which made me want to keep the lawn walking through the tall grass yeah we know what you mow our on, like was it last it was no, just a week. few days ago yeah it was this week it's hard it's been so hot that i lose track of yeah like, we everything. well you mowed it like right before it got really hot because i keep an eye on the weather for that yeah. reason and kind of yeah. urged you to cut it before that happened i think it was monday or tuesday or so. no it wouldn't have been monday because i was working monday so probably tuesday i don't know yeah it's tuesday sounds right <laughs> anyway are we talking about mowing the lawn today i don't think we're talking about mowing the lawn today that doesn't sound right if you are if people have tuned in to box pop to hear about lawn mowing that's not exactly it I guess I could announce the two guests because they've both spoken already, but my wife, Stephanie's here. Hey, Steph. Yep. Hi there. And who's the other guest? My, my partner, Josh, is here. <laughs> You're like, oh, is that me? Yeah. Hi, Josh. Hi, everyone. Good to be back. Yeah. So I thought this would be really interesting because we decided, given the doubleness of the event, if you live in definitely in America, but I think very much in the geekosphere of internet film nerddom, you might have known that like last weekend was Barbenheimer and I thought like hey if it was like a double feature Barbenheimer and we talked about it very briefly on last week's show but I said we'd do a full review this week so I thought we'd do like the Barbenheimer double date double feature and that's kind of what we're talking about today not I mean if you've heard of Vox Pop episodes before there will probably be spoilers on occasion but we don't we're not going to go and recap either film that's just not what we do here we'll talk about cultural significance of the film films and the moments and seeing them both together and things like that. Does that sound right? Yeah, although maybe there might be some spoilers because sometimes we say there won't be spoilers and then we're like, just kidding, let's spoil the end of Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Oppenheimer, we know how America won the war. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I guess, yeah, we're mild spoilers, maybe the route. I don't think either movie is really, these are not in-game style films, right? These are not like things where like, where, oh surprise, there was a bob, or surprise Barbie lives? I, guess, <laughs> I don't know. I do think that if you are into Barbie or not into Barbie, but you have some idea about Barbie, you might be surprised at the direction the film takes yes. if you are isolated from like, everyone in the world talking about the gender politics of Barbie. Like, I, I I feel like there have been some hints through the marketing, but like, honestly, like when the Barbie movie was announced, I wasn't expecting it to take the turn it did. Yeah, you know, fine. But, but my thing is, I think that if you are the kind of person who is worried about 
spoilers for Barbie or Oppenheimer, you've seen them already. Or you're skipping the show and seeing them in theaters because there were capacity issues. Like I think yeah. Oppen, I think Barbenheimer is not necessarily. I mean, it's over in the sense that like it's not up in weekend anymore. But people are going to be seeing these films for like the rest of the summer and maybe also together. Like, well, I guess that's what yeah. we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about the eventness of it, right? And I guess the two questions. Well, actually, let's start with a very easy point. You guys, the two of you, did it double feature stuff. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. We started at Barbie 9 a.m. Dolby. And then, so you, did you walk out of Barbie and right into Oppenheimer? No, we took a break. Took a nice lunch break, went back. Okay. Yeah. Afternoon. So, like, we, we did leave the theater because also I think it's important to note that Josh and I still are masking. Cases for COVID are rising, at least in our area. So, we wanted to take precautions. So, we, like, went, left, ate lunch outside, then spent mm-hmm. three more hours in the movie theater. So, like, and then we went outside and, like, got pink drinks. Well, I got pink drinks. You got dark beer. So I guess we did the Barbie Oppenheimer thing in our oh, drink choices. Yeah. Um, and basically your whole day oh, was doing this. Oh, yes. Like, Barbie ended literally around lunchtime. You know, we got to the theater at like 8.30 because I was very... I had a nightmare the night before about being late to Barbie. Had, you know, was there in the morning. People, like, were bringing blankets and pillows with showing. It was great. Our theater had a Barbie box so that you can kind of step inside the plastic <gasps> oh, box and take a jealous. You know, post photo. Yeah. So we, we barely had, had a freaking poster. We had like maybe a two by three foot poster that we had to yeah, it, embarrassingly pose it around. Was- yeah, it was. Yeah, they did, and it's weird because our theater tends to go all out for the big blockbuster releases. There's usually massive displays. They skip Barbie for some reason. Well, it, you know, like, I, <laughs> there was a Ninja Turtles one, but there was no Barbie one. I mean, I think that some theaters might have underestimated the appeal of Barbie. I'll say our theater did have a next to the Barbie box. There was a massive, like ten to fifteen foot Oppenheimer cardboard thing. Mm-hmm. But there was a Barbie. Mm-hmm. But it was not interactive. It was not fun. Barbie was where the all the kids were mm-hmm. like it was just like and hannah and hannah was there a was a part. slightly larger oppenheimer post <laughs> no it wasn't. it wasn't it's the same size we were just scanning closer to it i'm pretty sure it's i know that i've measured All right, them. well I, it was similar size yeah. probably <laughs> i don't think barbie or oppenheimer had cocktails it was indiana jones yeah. that had the cocktail okay so you guys saw which one first you saw barbie first did lunch and then did oppenheimer so you did it the downer way no, I had to recover. I had to, like we our movie th- our big movie theaters at a mall, and I was crying so hard it lasted through the credits. And we went to Crate and Barrel so I could feel the cozy blankets, and I was okay. crying in Crate and Barrel for like thirty minutes. Whoa. Okay, all right. Hmm. So we saw it the other way. We did not do the double. Well, we did Wait, a double. We saw feature. the same order. Yeah. No. Yeah. We saw. No, we didn't. We saw Oppenheimer first. Oh, what am I thinking? But we saw Oppenheimer first, and ours was technically not a double feature, I guess, because we saw the last show. Like they were just well, so we saw the last show opening night. And the of Oppenheimer, and then the first show the next morning of Barbie. Did we go Thursday and Friday or Friday and Saturday? I don't know. It was Thursday and Friday. Yeah, Thursday and Friday. We saw Thursday night Oppenheimer preview, and then and then went during early Friday morning to see early Friday. It was, it was, it was like, yeah, it was, it was the one ten, I think. It, whatever. It was the first show that was available, so it was just like we, you know, there was no way for us to get in. Oh my goodness, it was so packed. Well, both were packed, yes. but uh, so uh, Oppenheimer was so annoying because it seemed. I think there were probably a lot of like CMU and Pitt students, undergrads who were science nerds, probably. But so many were coming in late and we were like sitting in the row 
with the seats to our right completely empty. And I was like, I looked at the thing and it, they should be full. And so like half an hour into the movie, our, those people come in and I feel like I missed important things. Yeah, I don't know if it was a full half an hour into the movie. It's it was a while. There were 45 minutes of credits and I'm not going to have credits of previews. And Anyway, if yeah. you go to a movie, like make sure you get there on time like Canada's. If you like Canada and us, don't be like... Especially if it's a three, if it's a three-hour film. You know, there's a lot going there on. There were a lot of people who showed up late. Yeah. It was, I mean, so I guess we should just, in you know, for the sake of reviews, are we saying four thumbs up or eight thumbs up? There's four of us. We're two movies. So we all liked both movies. Is that fair? Yes. I did like I, both movies. I think that they were both well-made. And I can't... I As much as one can enjoy a film about, you know, Genocide white dude makes... You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, I thought that it was... Yeah, like, you know. I've watched Dunkirk, Interstellar, and Tenet recently. Mm-hmm. And this was the first Recent. Nolan film I've locked in, I've liked in a while. Okay. So, yeah. For what heresy to some, but I, that's, you know, I like this one. Well, no, because I think that's one of the things that I want to talk about. Like, I'm not going to do the things where, like, I, you know, which one's better? And, and, no, apples and, and oranges. Sort of, and it was sort of set compare. up, like, I, I think the question, up until about a week before release, there was this thing of, is one of them going to blink? Is one of them going to move? You know, they were both competing with Mission Impossible and, you know, is there enough space <laughs> in the, in the, is there enough space space in the box office for all these movies? And it's like, come on, you got to move Barbie or you got to move Oppenheimer. I actually thought, I actually was thinking maybe Oppenheimer would move. It wasn't um, going to move. Up, no, like had those IMAXs um, locked yeah. in. No, like there yeah, was up, no up way. Up until, up until Mission Impossible underperformed that first week, I thought that I was like, because Tom was trying, he was making calls. Tom was trying to get them to take away some of Nolan's IMAX films. And I knew Nolan wanted the entirety of IMAX himself. Cruz's idea argument was, and this was a reasonable argument. We'll talk about it. But he was like, oh, come on. We all have to work together. We're trying to save the movies. And also, frankly, my movie is probably going to need it more. And it's what he said, because you know he's got the more action oriented. So he wanted some of the, I got it. And I thought, you know, are they going to move? But then as it got closer and people, the, not the marketing, because the studios weren't doing this, was the organic fan thing of people doing hashtag Barbenheimer. People who are not me and Hannah being weird going, I want to see both. Because I remember when, like when we did the box office draft, Steph thought there's a Barbie movie that's dumb. Oh, Oppenheimer. I kind of want to see that. I, you say that on the episode. Like the concept of Oppenheimer by Chris Nolan seemed interesting to you. And the concept of Barbie yeah, seemed yeah. like, oh, this is a movie for children. And as you, and then Steph got more and more interested in it. After I saw the preview, yeah. previews I changed her, my mind. I mean, the uh, preview, like the preview, the original preview of Barbie, which turns out to be more or less the opening mm-hmm. of Barbie, well, or is a parody of, you know, 2001 mm-hmm. Space Odyssey and is, you know, little girls smashing baby dolls when they finally see <laughs> Barbie, who's not like a doll where they have to play mother. And mm-hmm. I saw that, saw Greta Gerwig's name, saw Margot Robbie and thought, yeah, so this There's is going to win Oscars. Yeah. And, also, and like, and I think like, honestly, I had to go with Spider-Man in the box office picks because Spider-Man is my childhood love beyond all others since everyone has had to hear about on this podcast mm-hmm. for like what four years now so I like you you all were like Hannah that's like not it that's not the pick and I was like no it's Spider-Man this is not about winning this is about Spider-Man but I knew Barbie was just gonna make yeah. a ton and we and I think I even said on the episodes like so guys Oppenheimer or Barbie and we were all like Barbie but yeah. I don't think we knew how big Oppenheimer would get because like right. Oppenheimer's gonna 
like like poor Mission Impossible. I don't even know if it's going to surpass Indiana Jones, and that's just underperforming like crazy. Well, so Oppenheimer came up, and Monica took Oppenheimer in the third round. We were like, Ugh, no, too early, and like she took it right after she took Fast X, and right after you'd taken Indiana Jones, I'd taken Mission Impossible. Wayne had Ant Man and Wasp: Quantumania. Like so, we were and Katya had taken Barbie in the second. So. So, in the first so, round. That was her, oh, well, I guess it was no, like her took, second pick. It was her second pick. Katia is a crazy yeah. person and she took Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> but, I just wish that Slaughterhouse had been oh, a, a movie that had we had known existed because I bet you that one of us would have picked that too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But anyway, the point I'm making is like for a while, everybody thought this was going to be a fight and then organically the internet just decided, no, we want both. And, and it was like, yeah. and I and like it was weird because I think I even say I, can't remember if it's, I don't remember if I say it on the draft show or not I know I say on our summer preview show that I had full intentions of double featuring Barbie and I think I said it on the Barbie and Oppenheimer and I think I might have said it on the draft show because I think Scott I, was like I, multiple no, we're times not doing multiple that. people yeah. in this like group of people have said <laughs> I am the person who wants to double feature these like I believe like I I think we should point that out by the way because Monica wanted to be here today but Monica caught COVID again it's mm. get better and therefore she's not been able to see either of the films yet but yeah. I, yeah so you know get well soon but I like famously I think I was like I don't care about Oppenheimer I don't want to see Oppenheimer I don't right. want to hear another like oh I'm a torture genius movie which like I, I went is, not, honestly yeah. I went for the memes I'm not gonna lie to you you just talked that. me into this because I went for the meme yeah. Yeah. yeah but it beca- because it became a thing where like I was being more and more interested in it like I'll go see any Thing. I'm a weird movie nerd, right? I'm a weird pop culture nerd. I'm like, Nolan's doing a biopic on Oppenheimer. That sounds awful and interesting. I will go to that, right? <laughs> and also, I thought, like, sometimes Nolan hits it out of the park. Sometimes he doesn't. But no matter what, Oppenheimer, I knew from day one, that is going to be interesting. I knew it was going to be interesting. Yep. So, so I was like, sure. But, like, I was not expecting so many normal people to be into seeing this weird Chris Nolan film. And that's, and I don't mean normal in like a bad way I mean I'm the weirdo it should have been a movie for weirdos and then we went there and it was packed and here's my non-spoiler review of Oppenheimer it was a packed theater in our mega IMAX screen um, it was a show that I think started at 11 o'clock after previews or something like that it was like 10, mm. it was like the 10 it was 10 10 30 I think the show was, it was like, over at 1 okay uh, well it was it I thought it was like 1 30 anyway, whatever yeah it, it doesn't matter it was the late show and it was a packed crowd of all ages and no one talked, no one screamed. It was silent. Yeah, no kids. Yeah, no, no kids laughing. Yeah, yeah. The, Unlike Barbie. Yeah, the movie was over and everyone just very quietly got up and respectfully. Yeah, it was like predominantly male. I had to say, yeah. I noticed that it was predominantly male. Mm-hmm. And then when we get outside, people are like, oh, well, that was very good. It was very, it was a very calm, considered evening. And it's just not the kind of thing that, like, I understand why people are going to pack a theater on a Thursday night or Star Wars number 40 or Marvel number 80 or whatever, right? Like, I get that. It was weird to see that happen for Yeah, yeah. I think our theater was like majorly people above 50, mm-hmm. usually in couples. So there were people our age or younger yeah. there too. Okay. And it was also like respectful and quiet. I'd say, I think the only time people got up really was to like go to the bathroom. Cause like, let's be real. It was like three hours. Three hours yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I think that like 
people were really engaged with it. Like he, like Nolan does a very good job of telling what I think, frankly, is a dated story, politically speaking, in a way that I was still willing to watch it. And also I did get very excited whenever, spoiler alert, the most minor thing, when they were like, academics should unionize us. Like, yeah, academics should unionize. Let's unionize the lab. Just pump in the front row. <laughs> yeah. That was me. That was I me. cheer too, actually, because I would love if our department did that. I have a union. Um, yeah, everyone which, here is pro union. No, I mean, I, but I'm in one. I mean, oh, you? Yep, I'm my, not. My, yeah, I aspire to be in one. <laughs> Yeah, my my school is unionized, so yay. Yeah, um, I guess for me, like it didn't seem like dated to me because of just the recent Russia Ukraine thing going on and the threat of using nuclear weapons. So I guess that's. I mean, I, I guess I was just into the more you know, like we're in a like lasting like COVID world. There's mm-hmm. more pandemics coming. Climate, like all these news articles about climate change and like maybe the Gulf currents are going away by 2025. It could be later, but also like 2025 is like you know before maybe the next Avengers movie comes out at the rate we're going, you know? Yeah, well... I was like, you know. Yeah, I know both of those things are man-made, too, so (laughs) the destruction could be from nuclear weapons or from... (laughs) But also, I I felt like, oh, well, you know, like, I mean, it's technically a thing, but it doesn't feel, like, as current as everything else, and also, like, it... I was talking to a friend about this, and they said something along the lines of, it felt like Nolan was, like, trying to vindicate Oppenheimer from the, you know, hearings against him with like communism and like just but people didn't like it to begin with and also it's Oppenheimer who you know like no matter how he felt but like you know he invented this horrible like like, with a team like did this horrible thing I actually didn't realize until today that Biden just last year what's the word he basically over like vindicated it's officially vindicated Oppenheimer of any ties to Russian spirey oh yeah yeah, not not vindicated he uh, uh, he, part of the energy like rescinded its yeah. security clearance. They had like a not an apology letter. They made a statement. Yeah, but also like mistakes were made. I forget <laughs> how everyone else in the world's like, oh yeah, like all the com- like communist ideas are bad. And I'm like, oh, like like what's their what they're stating in the movie, like you know, mm-hmm. unionizing your department. It sounds extremely reasonable to me. I realize like there are more like complications there, but I was well, still like eh. there are and there aren't, right? Because like, so that's one of the things that I think no as well. And this has not been kind of the talk about the film. I am enough of a weird I'm not like a World War II buff, but I'm a cultural studies buff, right? So I know that the argument against unionization during the Red Scare was literally a fear of communism, but a fear of the blanket concept of communism without really any understanding of what it is. Mm. It was just a fear of the Red. In in the same way as like literally happens now, like I've argued with people, we've all seen me argue with people on the internet where people are like, oh, well, you know, you're a socialism doesn't work and it's bad. And I was like, why? Well, I think it's obvious. Obvious why? Well, because Russia and they don't like, like no one understands the concept. Like the idea of unions mean communism and communism means the Rus. That's as far yeah. as people. Is it because it people tie communism to Stalin, who's basically a, no, murderous dictator. Yes. <laughs> so Partly. they have negative associations with communism. Yes. And socialism and they tie socialism to the Nazis because it's the national socialist. Uh, yeah. Like even the, any other, yeah. The fact that that logically makes no sense is right. irrelevant. It's 
literally it's, it's, it's literally a lack of understanding and just deciding well i know socialism was bad in the war what war world war ii i think you know like it's literally like not thinking i actually didn't realize how justified there like all i didn't really know i'm re i guess for me i had never really seen anything i'm not like a big history buff i watch the history channel like maybe a lot of people do dads oh, like a lot of dads do yeah <laughs> I grew up watching the History Channel okay. with your dad, your right? Your old soul. <laughs> yep. Before it turned into ancient aliens. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, so I didn't really have much knowledge about what happened, what the Manhattan Project involved and all of this. And I just knew about, mainly knew about the communism scare, the McCarthyism age. And I thought it's just insane that they would be, you know, so paranoid about communism. But like, it turns out that I just read this today too, kind of researching, but I, it turns out that there actually were Soviet spies yes. working on the Manhattan Project. Yes. They did deliver information. Mm -hmm to yes. the Soviet Union. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So they, they had reason to be um, paranoid. Well, okay. That's, so that's where it comes and That's why I think the movie's interesting because, yes, there was a very active Cold War. Yes, there were foreign agents involved in American politics and industry. And also on the Manhattan Project. It, 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 no, yes. I'm, I'm counting the Manhattan Project as part of American politics. Because the Red Scare is not just the Manhattan Project. I'm saying overall, okay, when, when yeah. you're doing the witch hunt that was the Red Scare, there just, were people here. But that's not really what McCarthy was doing. Yeah, he, he, that was overblown at that <laughs> yeah, point. But I'm yeah. just saying like the original yeah. reason for the concern it's, is just yeah, it's not justified. A, a binary thing. And that's why yeah. it's and the reason I think it's interesting is I think one of the reasons Nolan is interested in it is that he sees the very real parallels as to what goes on in like our modern cultural moment, say Russia and Ukraine and just unionization fights in academia and, you know, nuclear proliferation. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now that I think he sees the parallels for. And where I think Nolan fails often as a filmmaker is I think that his style of filmmaking is so I noticed this stuff. I'm going to show you the parallel. And there it is. Go think about it. Like he doesn't have a message, I don't think. And I I don't necessarily know that you need one because I think that he is very good at what he does. But most of the reviews that I've seen of Oppenheimer were like, wow, this movie really makes you think. He's saying something nobody else is saying. It's like, it's not true that no one else is saying it. It's maybe true that no one is saying it as loudly in a Hollywood film on a $100 million budget. Like, <laughs> Nolan occupies a very specific point where he gets to be the artsy, cerebral filmmaker who happens to also get a blockbuster budget and can make the money back like any villain who just will lose money on it and like you have to decide so like i think he's i think nolan's special in that sense but i don't know i don't know that he's the most brilliant but i do think that the fact that people went and saw this movie so many people went and saw this movie which movie that is and it's whole it's a talky biopic about world war ii you mean, i like i understand why i wanted to see it and i understand why you guys wanted to see it but yeah i still don't get why there was such a massive contrast of with Barbie like I, like I that's what that's kind it of just is so if Oppenheimer just didn't happen to come out the same day as Barbie then I think it would have done okay I think it would have done Dunkirk numbers and by the way, uh, just because Josh, you mentioned Dunkirk and, and Interstellar and, you know, and, and I love Dunkirk might still, I mean, I liked Oppenheimer, but I, Dunkirk might be my favorite of his film. I really enjoy it, but I know it's not a movie for everyone. I watched it 
I was trying to finish it before I saw um, Oppenheimer. I ended up seeing half of it in Oppenheimer, then finishing it. Okay. I, it's a well-made movie. I, you know, it's, I think uh, some of the criticisms about like the scale. He loves his. My complaint to Hannah last week has been, you know, Nolan loves his in-camera and like practical effects work, and sometimes there's issues with like the scale of the films because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Although but, they're a lot prettier than a lot of the cheap CGI. Let's be real. Absolutely, but uh, you know, I do agree that it's a the story sounds really interesting and Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. I think, well, while we're getting, you know, I feel like the last Nolan film, I actually, without reservation, really, and I like The Dark Knight Rises against my better judgment, or <laughs> logic, perhaps, even. I think The Prestige was the last film he did that I just really loved, which is, like, I, I thought they were, like, really good things about Tenet, mostly the acting, but it was just defied. Like, but I feel like... And a lot of people hate Prestige. Prestige, yeah. it's a very polarizing movie. It's actually an amazing adaptation of a very strange book, which is not necessarily... Like, I, I liked it beyond that, but I read the book years later and I was like, oh. Okay. I see, like, I see, like, some artistry in, like, how he managed to, like, capture mm. the essence of the book without doing all these... You know, he did, like, an L.A. Confidential part mm-hmm. in where both things stand on their own. They have, share some similar themes, but, like, you, you could read or watch either one of them and then read or watch the one you hadn't seen and have a totally different experience. Sure. For, for good or for bad. But I just, I feel like in some ways, like Oppenheimer was one of the first films in a long time seen that reminded me of something like 12 Angry Men where people like compared it to a play because besides like some of the practical effects, it's just a lot of people sitting and talking yeah. in several like enclosed sets. It's a movie that absolutely, and this is why I think it's amazing that he was able to pull it off. It is a movie that Nolan is in love with IMAX screen he is in love with the concept he loves making movies and frankly it did not need to be on the biggest screens available in america like i mean i enjoyed it because i'm a film nerd but like this is a movie that if you don't get a chance to go see it in the theaters i still think people should watch it at home in six months when they can or whatever like i think it's a good movie i i really do but it's like i found it very compelling for sitting in an in a you know 100 foot imax screen and watching people talk for three hours because that's what they did yep, <laughs> it yep. was just like it was just people talking at each other and to the point that you know Steph was making the question though like I think it would have done Dunkirk numbers without Barbie I think people would have seen it but I think it got more eyeballs on it because of the fervor of wow it is so weird that these two things yeah, are coming out yeah. the same day yep. I don't think uh, well okay so as a good example Hannah even though you liked it you weren't conceptually interested in it if they hadn't launched on the same day you might have watched it six months from now like you weren't the theaters to see it right? yeah like I mean I've seen a lot of movies this summer we've basically done half of our summer shows around what has hannah seen in the theater because it's what she has time to talk about that's incredibly reductive but uh, yeah you know I, I could have saved the 15 dollars. it was not the top of my list and i you know i actually said to josh after we walked out of the theater and i didn't mean it you know oh this was bad and i'm so angry i saw this and like every movie needs to align with me politically and you know i'm a snob mm-hmm. who tweets my hot takes kind of way but i was actually kind of you know more interested in what Oppenheimer didn't say than what it did mm-hmm. say because like I like thanks to people in New Mexico and, and people whose very recent ancestors were affected by what happened in New Mexico I learned a lot about how indigenous and other families were impacted by both their land was taken from them to create the Los Alamos test site and plus like like the bomb testing and other 
other atrocities like affected the populations of New Mexico. So, you know, I understand why they didn't show anything in Japan. And there are, you know, plenty of movies made by Japanese Mm -hmm. filmmakers who cover that. So as many people rightly like shared and pointed out, but like, I do feel like there was kind of a missed opportunity to talk about what was happening to the people whose land it was and U.S. citizens and people living here. And I, I understand that like, the script was written in first person point of view. Mm-hmm. It is very much from Oppenheimer's point of view. So like the silences are on purpose, but I was just like, I have more interest in like, mm-hmm. you know, what's not being said. And also like, I think I was just set up to think Oppenheimer would be maybe deeper or like more painful to me than it actually was because people were, you know, tweeting on Thursday night previews that, oh, you know, like Oppenheimer's ending just really messed me up. Like I just, mm-hmm. I'm having an existential crisis from this. And I was like, well, maybe... Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't want it in the movie on this note. As I said, it, I didn't really feel anything. I, was, I tried it Barbie. Well, I, yeah, I thought, we're going to get the Barbie in a second. I thought there was a, a missed opportunity to kind of talk more about the effects of war and things like that. There was, there's yeah, a whole, there was, yeah, I think that's a whole separate movie. Well, it's not what he does. That's sort of my, that was sort of my thing. Like, I, I like Nolan as a filmmaker. I really do. There's a there's like a mild spoiler. Alert. There's like a scene where people are clearly watching footage of the you know bomb effects, but they're not actually showing it on but screen. You're seeing the reaction. I will, yeah, the, I will, yeah the but I will say like I understand like the criticisms people have of that scene, but I also take the point of people who say I'm glad they didn't show anything because it'd be re-traumatizing and like it didn't yeah, need sure. to be shown, you know. Yeah. But uh, it, I mean, this is like the great thing about film, right? There can be a space for both, and like there need to be more than one movie. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, it was a three-hour movie, and I was like, someone was explaining after the, it could have been an hour and a half, and then I thought about it. What could they have taken out? And I couldn't really think of. I could have gotten much. twenty minutes out of it, but that's only me. Maybe the sex dance. scenes. I don't. No, that I wouldn't have. Thought. I actually understand that a lot. I'm gonna I, see with my mom, so I kind of wish they weren't. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh right, yes. That's going to see it again. So, but you're. But Hannah, what did they? I, I was wondering about like cancer rates and stuff of people who were like indigenous people in the area. After did they talk? Do you know anything about that? I don't know offhand, but I know that like there there are people. People like talking about cancer rates of like what people affected in America and stolen land on on like Twitter. Like a senator from New Mexico was tweeting about like the effects of Oppenheimer to just bring awareness to like what had happened in the state. That, well, that would be an interesting movie. It would be, and that's and that, and that's kind of what I was getting at. I think Nolan's failing as a filmmaker is he's not interested in commenting the way that I think you guys are talking about. So I want to segue into Barbie. Barbie has a definitive message about mm-hmm. the state of yes. feminism and patriarchy, which is not, and I'm actually, I actually think it's being underserved in the discourse right now, what the movie actually says. We'll analyze Barbie in a second, but I think Barbie is Gerwig making a statement about something. And that's what Greta Gerwig does as a filmmaker does in Lady Birds, what she does in Little Women. Like Greta Gerwig has a point of view and she is telling you the point of view. I don't think Nolan wants that. I think Nolan very much wants to say, this is the world of of Oppenheimer from Oppenheimer's point of view. And there's a little bit of, there's like a, okay, so minor spoiler. There's a little bit of of it where it's like, they they ask Oppenheimer, what do you think we should do with the site after we're done? And he's like, I don't know, give it back to the Indians, which is not a, (laughs) like, like, which is, which seems like a, hey, I'm being woke here. It's like, eh, I think that most 
most of the movie, like, I think that we don't see Japan because there is no real consideration of that by him at that time. What consideration is the science. It's probably a bigger deal. The test site, which is what we see, the test explosion is probably a bigger deal than the actual dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and on Nagasaki at that time. Now, he does deal with it, but only from the context of here's my personal white guilt of having done it after the fact. And here's my connection in the in, you know, of when they were deciding on the sites to drop the bombs. Like, I, like, I think that Nolan is aware of the racist issue of what he's doing, but he doesn't want to take a stance so much as he wants to illustrate it as honestly from his point of view as he possibly can. Like, I've seen other questions of people saying, well, once again, we made a movie about history with only white men. Yeah, we did because it's a movie about white people. So, like, that's, predominantly white men. Yeah, predominantly white men. There's like, you know, there's like four female characters that speak in the entire film. And, and I think that's kind of a, it's on purpose. I don't know that I can excuse it, but it is on purpose. And I think it's very different than what you do with a film like And I, I want to be clear, actually, there is one very good scene that does tackle what I think people are criticizing, which I it enraged me in the movie. Like the Secretary of War at the time is given this line where he's like, don't drop a bomb on Kyoto. I'm taking it off the list because my wife and I honeymooned there. Yes. And like, I, I believe like, like what I read, that's, that's, yeah, that's, I read that's like not entirely accurate, but it, it I think it, it displays the attitude of like, these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. and yeah. shows like, hey, like these lines about indigenous people, like this thoughtlessness, like is not good. Like it, you know, it speaks to like the, you know, colonial attitudes of the United States. Mm-hmm. In particular, blah, blah, you know, not blah, 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 and that. but you know, and so, but I, so I do think like there was like some thought in being like, hey, it is, it is know. true that it was removed from the list for cultural heritage yes, reasons, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, but like not because his wife and he honeymoon there, yeah, well, but, but like I, yeah, the glibness is like supposed to enrage you, I think, and so like there, uh-huh. yes. there is like there is some politics in view, so I, and so I'm not saying like I want to be clear to everyone, I'm not saying this movie is irrelevant because it lacks the politics I want, it doesn't cover the things I want. To what I'm saying is that I am more interested in that story because, like, mm-hmm. I mean, did I know every detail about Oppenheimer's life? And do I still know every detail? No. But, like, I feel like I have heard, you know, the basic story of the Manhattan Project before, and I've heard the basic story of McCarthyism mm-hmm. before. And, like, it was told in, like, an interesting way. I was, you know, somewhat, like, kept on the edge of my seat for, you know, history and basically, like, quote, knowing what happened. Like, it was mm-hmm. well made. I, again, but I just think that, like, there was a maybe missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and again, maybe, no, like, you know, back to your point, I think Nolan may not, is not the right filmmaker to tell these stories. But I feel like sure. even, like, oh, there could have been, like, a little bit more. That's fair. And, I, and, you know, I, for all the things, all the critiques we have, for all the things we wish were in the movie, I did very much like the lead up to the bomb test is really tense, good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. The scenes immediately after where they're, you know, they're not showing Japan, like you said, but they're showing kind of the military is not taking this science away they're doing their own thing and there's this kind of waiting game waiting to see what's happening mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I think that is you know you really get kind of a sense of what people are going through and, and I think that's it's very gripping even though it's not necessarily covering all the material you kind of like to see well yeah I guess like another interesting thing for me about the movie is there were like you had and you had to really pick them out like a lot of parallels and I think that Nolan was like trying to make a big 
parallel between Strauss's character, like the relationship between Strauss and Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and between, of all people, Trump and Obama. <laughs> At least that's how I that's how Why? I read it. Well, because the it's like the whole reason, at least that's my reading of the movie that Strauss went after Oppenheimer and tried to strip away his his security clearance is because he felt like he was embarrassed during the hearing when they were talking about whether to give to sell isotopes to to your Euro- European countries. No, well, he was, but like the straw that broke the camel's back, at least as far as the movie is concerned, in the narrative of the movie. So spoilers for Oppenheimer, as uh, we haven't been doing it. A very specific thing. Strauss hates Oppenheimer because Strauss thinks that Oppenheimer said something to Einstein. That okay, yeah, that's another thing. So it's, it's just like, that. yeah, it's just sort of like his paranoia that mm-hmm. reminded me of Trump and how Trump started hating Obama and trying to destroy Obama. After the White yeah. House correspondent. After the White House correspondent. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why I read it as that mm-hmm. was the straw that broke the back because of what happened between Trump and Obama. Yeah, it's, I mean, and just, yeah, that. I think that Nolan is in general across several films invested in, I hate using this, I hate using the term toxic masculinity academically because I think it is not descriptive enough of several different problems. So what people would often call that, but I think Nolan is very interested in the failings of masculinity as a means of communication. It, it happens in several of his films and sort of a, I need to be performative. I need to defend my masculinity against a slight that might or might not exist in the Oppenheimer. It turns out it doesn't. Einstein and Oppenheimer weren't even thinking about Strauss. It had nothing to do with him. Like he thinks that Einstein hates him because doesn't Einstein just ignored him. I think that Einstein was thinking about something that he was just kind of depressed about. It had nothing to do with Strauss. And so it's a big misunderstanding. And I think Nolan is interested in that issue. And I do think that this happens politically. The one that you're talking about with Trump is one of those places, right? A lot of Trump's failings and Trump's many failings, and these are by no means the only ones. But amongst Trump's many failings are Trump's presumption of they, um, the royal they, you know, they, some imagined other, is out to get me because they are doing this. And the presumption is that because he would, <laughs> like, it, he imagines that everyone would react the same way that he would. I would do the evil thing. So somebody, so people must be trying to do it with me. So it's a persecution, I do think. Yeah, based on insecurity, because they, yes. Strauss talked about, yeah, how he didn't have a degree and he was self made. And I think that yes. was to make him understand that he was insecure. I want to ask a question about the films. Hannah, you said this already. Like you said, you, it's fair to say that you enjoyed Oppenheimer more than. Is that fair assessment? Yeah, like I, I, I don't know if I would like. I don't know if I had any like notion of whether like I like it or not. Like you know, I've overall like at least given Nolan films a chance because one thing I do admire about him for all my critiques of any of his films when I have the occasion for it is he like you know he's not like he doesn't make the same movie you know he like takes Ooh, big swings yes mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah like Tenet makes no logical sense to me it's a swing it's, like, he, it's really an attempt to do something different. I was mm-hmm. very excited by like the concept of it originally I think the reason why I dislike it so much is because I was disappointed but you can't say it's not like trying to do something different like I hate mm-hmm. Memento I, I think uh, it's a terrible <laughs> film right it's her favorite movie. Oh, I love that movie I'm so sorry <laughs> 
<laughs> but like you can't say that it's not trying to do something different yes. you know and frankly like when was the last time someone made something like 12 angry men and also tried to market it as a blockbuster yeah. i mean someone correct me if i'm wrong because i know that like you know i might be overlooking something but there are small films that have been made this is a phenomenal success story for them the reason i was asking though because i know like you were excited about barbie from the second like we started seeing stuff because i've talked to you about it like you you were always in on it i i said on last week's show during my very brief review and i stand by it, like i enjoyed oppenheimer i think i enjoyed barbie more because i feel like barbie is the kind of movie I don't want to, I don't want to compare them, but since there was a Barbenheimer thing, I think we have to. And Barbie is this movie where I can tell everybody, go see Barbie. Even if you think there's not nothing there for you, there's something there for you. There's something in Barbie forever. But in cells, would you recommend it? Yes, but I'll okay. get to that in a second. That's because I do want to talk about that. I Oppenheimer, I very much enjoyed myself in as much as you can enjoy a movie about, you know, genocide, anti-Semitism, destruction of mankind. I enjoyed the experience. I appreciated the experience. Not a better way of saying it. But it was the kind of movie where I think I told Wayne last week, I don't know who I can recommend this to. It's a lot. You know, <laughs> like I, I certainly like I enjoyed my experience, but I don't feel like I can tell that to everybody. Whereas Barbie, I absolutely think I can recommend this to just about anybody, including as stuff just asked, what about incels? I think there is a certain, there there are the Ben Shapiro's of the world who are looking, who are just struggling, trying to find ways to like complain about this movie because he is, it is financially advantageous to him to make a big stink about hating the wokeism of this movie. And it is a very woke movie, mm -hmm. but I think that if you are, the people that Ben Shapiro is talking to, if they actually went and saw Barbie with an open mind, I think the message of Barbie is actually really good for incels, not just because I want them to learn something, but because I think that one of the messages that people are missing of Barbie is that being performatively feminist without thinking about what you're doing is maybe not so nice. Like there's maybe ways you can be like Barbie is wrong towards Ken for much of the movie. And that is a point that the film makes is that she is abusive to him early on and she's in the wrong and it's understandable why he gets mad because now does he go overboard sure but i think the message that is lost is hey you know maybe pretending that like your feelings don't matter just because you're a guy is bad because ken's kind of a sensitive dude who has kids and likes sports <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, the whole song so about much. how he wants to feel love for real. And I mean, does it have some incel vibes? Yes, yeah. but also. But, he, um, but he's sympathetic. I think he is, I mean, Ken's character, and I think people are like, and, you know, Shapiro's review of this basically, oh, well, you're making fun of, you're making fun of men. You're making fun of this and that. And they are. Ken's character is an incel. But I think if you watch the movie with an open mind and watch what happens, he is a sympathetic character and his actions make sense. And he's for the insults to relate to. I think so. But I think they're because he's a doofus, because he's an idiot. I think it's hard because they're going to be like, oh, you think we're stupid. And Greta Gerwig would say, yes, I do think you're stupid because you are. <laughs> but I do think that he is also static because his actions and his feelings make sense. And I think the film legitimizes. Yeah, I heard in the audience, people were like all like from time to time. Oh, like like 
feeling vis- audibly sorry for Ken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are lots of. I mean, in parts of him, parts of them are he has unrealistic expectations of how Barbie should behave towards him, but also a lot of it's just like he just you know the fact that he just wants to do certain things that people think that he can't because he's you know dumb and blonde <laughs> yep, <laughs> and a dude. Role reversal. Yeah, no, not the, that's my point. It's not role reversal. It's a, so if you actually do masculinity studies, one of the one of the things that actually happens in masculinity studies is the failings of I don't say gender studies because gender studies watch that the failing the failings of gender advocacy to pay attention to cis white male just because cis white males might be at the top of the pecking order that doesn't mean they don't have real issues and problems mm-hmm. and we do sometimes overlook them which makes them turn bad yeah, even more. so michael true. kimmel writes about this in a book about angry white mm-hmm. michael kimmel's a sociologist thing and this movie is very aware of it ken is in the wrong he does the wrong thing a lot you know he is spoilers for barbie if you haven't seen it yet but in many ways to the extent that there's a bad guy in the movie he's the bad guy but i say to the extent because he's also not in fact the end message is barbie says no there can be barbie and there can be ken and we can both be okay and that's the and that's the message for the movie it's like hey maybe everybody has value yay which is why it's so stupid for ben shapiro to be like this movie is too woke like literally the message is everybody's great that's the message of the film i mean they purposely make Barbie land conception of or the kingdom conception of patriarchy to be very shallow and like a joke partially I think because like not a kids movie but a movie in which like it's introducing some gender concepts to people who might not have ever heard of them before like I don't think we're the target audience of this film I mean it is speaking to us but I think it's like our politics are not the politics that the movie wants to reflect necessarily sure. right like and they, I think the kingdom is purposely shallow in terms of patriarchy so like it can yeah, be this like introduction to these concepts but also the movie would not be fun if the kins were like totally irredeemable right like, right. Mm-hmm. like if the song if I'm just kin stayed with him being like I'm such a nice guy why won't you love me like mm-hmm. it's not fair instead of it transitioning to I actually am a romantic I want to feel love I want to be real yeah. and transitioning to I am kin I'm strong enough put your manly hand in mine let's like you know be bros and feel our feelings and like we matter and we like have some talent like youtube has been unfairly maligning that song it's so funny i like like if there wasn't like that transition and sure it happens over Mm -hmm. one musical number but like what do you want i think it happens slower than i think it's highlighted in one musical yeah yeah we see got a very real arc i mean i mean there is a real arc but i'm saying like that like a musical number sort of solves some yeah i mean sure there's a conversation but like if like the you know the kin's solve their problems with each other through one musical number like i mean it's barbie like yeah i mean i, mean, I don't also, mean that in a dismissive way yeah. but it's yeah. barbie. also america ferrara solves feminism in like one speech so yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> like, I, like i mean that's the goofiness of the movie but, but I, like I, it doesn't discredit what mm-hmm. they're saying like greta gerwig gave an interview where she was talking about how when america was giving that speech on set not only were the women crying but everyone was crying because people you know do feel like they're not enough and it you know it, it, i was crying i cried through like the whole like back half of the barbie movie because mm. as like well as you all know i cry at the nicole kid amc commercial but like 
<laughs> it, everyone else laughs and I cry. But I love hmm. the movies. I love movies. Hmm. I miss, I've missed movies. Movie movies, a film movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, like you know, when I, as everyone heard in the Indiana Jones episode, I used to dress up with all my friends and we'd go to the midnight premieres and we would enjoy the movies and, you know, stay up late. And like, this was like our fun thing in high school. Like, you, did, uh, did you actually hear people crying in the theater? Or oh, yeah. Oh, oh, people wow. were crying in the theater. Oh, so like say next to oh, me yeah. with a mom and a daughter. Well, say next to Josh were a mom and a daughter. Her daughter was like, what our age and the mom was like, my mother's age. Oh, and say next to me were two like 13 year old girls who I overheard say this was like their first movie with their parents. And I and they, they were talking through the previews. And I was like, oh, my God, am I going to be like the mean person who's like <laughs> shush during the Barbie movie? Because I wonder, because, you know, I wore pink. I took my picture in the Barbie box. Everybody else mm. is wearing pink. People had bought their a see like Barbie pool floaties with their drinks like we were, well, I we were yeah we were like our theater was ready to go like we bought tickets to Dolby <laughs> at 9am and we were like serious <laughs> about this and like that no the mo- like the movie started and these like two like 12 13 year old gar- girls were like into it and like I don't know like you back on this you heard other people besides me yeah were you crying that's time or two we were moved and, and like mm-hmm. I, I've talked to some people actually we were I know this will annoy Mav but like in the water cooler chat this week someone asked you know like like someone has asked me like and some other people who did the barbenheimer thing like if you had to pick one which one would you pick and i would in general pick barbie because i was i was so moved by it and it's like a summer blockbuster and like community event in the theater and i'm not saying there wasn't being like the silence and respectfulness of watching oppenheimer but like you could feel the energy of the audience like it was like Mm -hmm. a thing people were taking their pictures with like the Barbie stuff. We joked that it was like, you know, kids and Hannah, but really like, oh, you know, like, like there, there, yeah. there's a family who dressed up at like the boys and like the father dressed up as kins and their beachwear and like the mm-hmm. women were dressed up as Barbies and it was super cute and people are like, sewing their Barbie costumes and bringing their Barbies with them to watch this. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice. And it's also nice that, you know, when I was a teenager, like the midnight movies were like male driven superhero films. Cause like Wonder Woman yep. hadn't gotten a movie yet. It was Indiana Jones. It was mm-hmm. Harry Potter, which like, you know, Hermione is a big character so on but like you know twilight was like the female driven film that came out that i went to a midnight showing of and mm-hmm. you know how like maligned twilight has been by yeah, audience we've, we've yeah. talked about it we've yeah, talked about like, it a lot i i think that like like whenever i the week before barbie came out i actually had to defend barbie to some people because i was like barbie kind of rocks like my mother wouldn't let me have barbies for a long time because she was afraid i would have body image issues because she was mm-hmm. trying to be a good parent although i don't think i actually thought about what that meant until she told me why I couldn't have a Barbie and I always wanted this Wonder Woman Barbie doll I never got always a nerd but like Barbie you know like the movie makes the point and like maybe it's overblown in like true toy doll history that like girls were told to play as mother with their baby dolls yes. until Barbie and then Barbie like you can be anything and like I grew up in the 90s so at the time you know I like my friends and I were playing with Barbies um, Barbie was an astronaut by the time you were yeah. able to play with and there were, you and like you know you could buy a Barbie in different hair color like mm-hmm. there are different races of Barbie Barbie was way more diverse and like people have done like threads about like the really almost radical comparatively stuff Barbie has done. I mean, they've made tons of missteps. 
Oh, like, but as a yeah. dumb chronicles, but oh, Midge, I find it Midge so funny. I find Midge, it so funny that people say that, like, that people are angry at this film because Barbie's not like a wife and mother. Barbie's never been a wife and mother. No. And in fact, no. when Midge, Midge and Happy Family with Alan and Midge was pregnant, people freaked out. Yeah, but, like conservative people right. freaked out. When right. did that come on? It was that the nineties. Midge, yeah. ha- Midge, Happy Family is I want to say ninety four. 93? I'm gonna it's, look it up just in case. Okay. So so I was well, she's looking like, way later than what? And like so what I grew up in like well the mid to late seventies, mid to mid eighties. Yes. They didn't have all that variety of no. so I needed I to wanna say, I wanna say Alan and Midge come back as no. a married couple in ninety two. No, it's later. The happy fan in two thousand and three, she and Alan were reintroduced with a family. So like oh, two thousand three? Okay. Now the next okay. now in the eighties there was a heart family line, but like mm-hmm. Yeah, so like it was like actually past the time I was playing with Barbie, so I did not want a pregnant Mitch doll. But like, my point with it though was the like the people who were upset about it. Yes, I understand why there is no pregnant Barbie doll, Barbie specifically because of the character, and that's kind of unfortunate. We see the complaints that Hannah and I have talked at length about why we think Spider Man should be a father and not like a teenager. Like, I want them the characters to be able to grow up. I understand why they can't. I think it's silly that Barbie can be a president but can't be a mom i think i think it's good that she has a married friend who respectfully has two children or one and a half children because the doll's pregnant and then the doll can give birth and have a baby okay so there's an unpregnant version of midge too or she has the family midge has that version of midge and alan so the movie doesn't like tell you that midge and alan are but in the barbie lore midge and alan are and when they bring them back they have a toddler and she's pregnant. Oh, she's pregnant. And the way she's pregnant is that there's a fake belly with a baby inside of it that attaches to the doll's stomach. And then you can take the belly off and then you can oh, have the baby. Wow. You can have the, so she so you can have her with a baby with a newborn or yeah. with a pregnancy. And like now you don't I mean wow. they don't push the baby through like there's no having the baby. It's just <laughs> that like they wanted to be able to say, Hey, you can role play, have a family, which I think is actually pretty good because you know, it turns out that some little girls in the world have been in situations where their parents have had children. That's a thing that has happened to at least two or three little girls in the world. They've had, they've seen a baby come into the world and this was a way that you could role play that, hey, maybe it's okay for, you know, these two characters who are in their 20s to be married responsibly having wanted children. It is ridiculous that this was this was argued about. It was the most conservative possible family values ever. And people were like, no, you can't do this to Barbie. It's wrong. It was a weird misunderstanding of what doll even was. So I don't think Mattel had the misstep. I think people overreacted and Mattel eventually, and they, they spent two years trying to make it happen. And then they were just like, nope, we're done. Nobody cares about this thing. This is not the same as Cockring Ken, Ken, which was a I different mean, doll. <laughs> wait, what did you say? Cockring Ken. It's Magic actually Earring called, Ken. It's Magic Earring Ken. Oh. It's, it's a Ken doll who is very obviously very gay, has an earring, and is wearing a cock ring around his neck. <laughs> Which Mattel like put out a press release that's like obviously that's not a copy. It's for like him to give Barbie like surprises or something. Yeah, like, it's a cock ring. The wording is like I'm not sure like, I read... with how cock rings work. But that's for giving surprises. He was in this. Oh, he was. Yes. Oh, I didn't know about it before. So I was yeah, looking for he was. He's there with. I'm going to see it again. He, and I'll he, try to notice. Yeah, he is. I'll point it out when we go to see it with okay. our niece. Um, he's, he's one of the. He's like the one of the kids who's with Sugar Daddy Ken. Sugar, yeah, Sugar Daddy Ken. Oh. 
okay. who was also very gay. Yes, yes, he was. <laughs> yes, Magic Earring Ken and Sugar Daddy Ken are those were messed up in that like I'm sure that whoever designed them is like you, when you put a cock ring on a chain around his neck, you know what you're doing. <laughs> Magic Earring Ken. <laughs> <laughs> they knew what they were doing with that. <laughs> and come on, Sugar Daddy Ken, Sugar Daddy Ken. They absolutely Wait, knew that what was they were actually doing. the name of a Ken doll. That is the name of the yeah, doll. Yeah, the Westie's wow. name is Sugar. And it, to be fair, that Ken was meant for adults. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> like, 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 there's like an adult yeah. Barbie lot. Like, I, yes, I mean, I still technically the dog, but you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Barbie lore and also a lot mm-hmm. of Barbie movies, including Life in the Dream House, which a lot like people are upset that Ken is much nicer in Life in the Dream House and in a lot, you know, in, in like the Barbie movies and stuff. Which I'm not gonna lie, I was entertained by Barbie and the Nutcracker when I was a kid. But you know, honestly, like I thought that like there have been like lots of stories with Ken as the supportive boyfriend. And there are like some weird things if you like take the logic of the Barbie world seriously about the Kins and the Barbies. Like seriously, like the only time Ken has a dream house is in Toy Story 3. Like mm-hmm. if you Google Ken's dream house, Toy Story 3's Wikipedia page is what pops up. Yeah. So like seeing like a more kind of sinister Ken was like kind of an interesting story and mm-hmm. actually weirdly building on Toy Story 3. Although mm-hmm. that Ken and Barbie do end up together. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Steph and I had lunch with her mother yesterday. And I remember your mom mentioning, oh, you guys saw it? And like, of course we saw it. And she's like, well, aren't you worried about the message of Barbie getting body issues, images to young girls? And I was like, the film addresses that. Now, is the film perfect? No, there's some weird bits of whitewashing of the atrocities committed by Ruth Handler, <laughs> but also it acknowledges them. Like, it doesn't just whitewash them. It's like, yeah, also maybe she committed like a lot of tax evasion. And then it just moves, it just moves along and says, oh, we'll talk about that in another movie which they will not but it is there's weirdnesses where Mattel wants to present itself as both the bad guy and the good guy in this movie which is odd because they produced it like it's a weird it's very weird and like almost schizophrenic but it worked for me in I a way think, because of because it's Barbie it doesn't need to make sense but I do think that like what can be, so like there's a scene in the movie spoiler alert where they just like the Mattel CEO by Will just, Ferrell yes <laughs> just like constantly is like oh things are selling like the Mojo Dojo Cossack like oh what and like we have to like save Barbie land and put it back to normal and then they're like by the way this is like selling out and then America Ferreira's character Gloria pitches like ordinary Barbie and he's like no <laughs> And they're like, but sir, this will like sell. And he's like, okay, just kidding. And like, let's like do it. So yeah. like, I think that basically I agree with the people who say who this movie is really for in the most cynical view possible is for people my age and a little older, maybe a little younger who grew up with Barbie were introduced to like a lot of the issues around Barbie, which, you know, are not insignificant. And yet also like wanting to rehab Barbie's image so that she is feminist and cool. And also like, hey, you know, what like people can just play with kin too and like they can they, they though they, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean i know that's what the movie wants them to, wants to say but can they yeah. though <laughs> i mean was i gonna but i've never owned a kin doll so like i mean they can i mean you know people can buy their allen dolls man who owns like five barbies i don't think i have a <laughs> Yeah, so you know, like this movie is making the argument: you can have a Kindle and just a Kindle, and mm-hmm. it's fine. Or you can have like all the Barbies. Yes, you know. And this movie is saying, and buying Barbie for kids 
isn't gonna be a bad thing. Remember how like like Barbie is about inspiring young girls to do things beyond playing mother. And remember the like charities Mattel has like invested in. And like also we're self-aware and we understand that there are issues with history and we acknowledge them and we like are sorry for them and we're doing better. Look at how we're better with like this movie and how we're acknowledging how the patriarchy hurts everyone and how we want to acknowledge how it functions and how women are expected to be too much and also that you're putting like so much on a doll sometimes things are just a doll so like i do think there is this true cynical argument that this movie is just a rehabilitation you know of barbie's image and like and ruth handlers yeah 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 and, and kids and so like I get that but also you know in my passionate defense of Twilight and Barbie these movies and like dolls and books for women get torn apart by men because it's for women and they also get torn apart by women because they aren't good enough for x y or z reason and it, I, I did feel vindicated when mm-hmm. the movie oh. actually acknowledged that like you know you're putting so much on this yeah, one do we, film yeah do we know like how much of a role Mattel actually had in like the script development script development or like do they how much say do they yeah i just wonder how much power they had they in... have total power over the film. oh they did not so it's they have as much power over as greta gerwig says that she got very little pushback there were a couple places where she had to fight but mostly she got to tell the story that she wanted to do okay. she's talked about how like the thing that she meant the most to her was they wanted to cut where she's just because the scene goes nowhere other than the fact that like it shows you Barbie's humanity when Barbie sees the old woman on the on the right, bench yeah. and she's yeah, just like poignant. you're beautiful and she's like and the woman's like I know and they're like the scene does nothing they want to cut it oh and, wow and she was like no I'm glad they didn't yeah no, she wouldn't let them that was where she pushed back but uh-huh. she said for the most part they let her do anything she says for the most part they let her do anything now to be fair anytime a movie is successful the directors always say oh they let me do whatever they want like you don't you can't necessarily trust the director mm-hmm. because the director wants to work again so oh, she's sure. not gonna she's not gonna bite the hand that feeds her at warner brothers like like i get that but on the other hand they do own the property they did have final approval they could have stopped anything they wanted to it's weird that they let themselves look as negative as they do yeah the thing the scene where will ferrell the ceo is talking about how they maybe once had a female ceo in the 90s or something but and he that, can't remember it yeah <laughs> and so and he's like he said we've had at least two and he couldn't remember who the second one was ruth handler started how she's oh yeah. she's the original ceo <laughs> yes okay. her and her husband but mm-hmm. like yes ruth handler the real ruth handler started the company so that a little bit of a joke in that like yeah yes there's always been a woman because a woman right, founded right. It. So, so by default yes. there has to be <laughs> yes so like that so that's part of the joke of the film but this is weird like these this is why i think the movie is kind of good that's weird pop culture nerd Stuff. That's stuff that I like. I was like, you didn't even notice Cock Ring Kent, right? Like, no. you, like he's there for like a split second, and they call no, him. No, I did. I did notice him with the sugar daddy. Yeah, with, yeah but like, and the, uh, yeah, he was but you don't know the lore behind it no. the way I do, and it doesn't matter. I love this movie because I thought it was grown up and smart. And there was sitting not far from us, there was this woman who had her two daughters there, and I saw them as we walked out. I would estimate they were three and six, and these. These two little girls laughed the entire movie. It was so cute. They were yeah. adorable. It was so cute. <laughs> they thought everything was I hilarious. There's no way they got every joke. It does not matter. When and people laugh, they would laugh. <laughs> well, also there was some stuff that like they, you know, like there were things where they were early enough in their laughter that I know the joke played for them because of the intonation of the act. 
right? Like, they, like this is clearly a joke set up and, or, or, okay, I know the little girls, so here's a spoiler for you. There's a point where when they're in the real world, Barbie points out that, like, she doesn't have a vagina and Ken doesn't have a penis. And I don't know if it was the three-year-old or the five-year-old. I think it was the younger one just based on the pitch of the laugh, but one of them thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, it, it is funny. It's a funny joke funny. because like you, because if you're, I mean, if you're a three-year-old girl who's played with Barbies, you've undressed them before and you know they don't have anything mm-hmm. going you on. Might have, talk, might have talked with your mom about it or yeah. something. <laughs> so, uh, so, so one of the kids, and I think it was the three-year-old, just thought that was the funniest line. She just laughed hysterically. And I'm like, that's what makes this movie work for me because I am very much of the opinion that being a kid doesn't make you stupid. So I want children to have films that challenge them. And Hannah and I have talked about this before. One of the reasons I like Pixar movies so much. Yeah, like Toy Story 3. Let's have a movie about the existential crisis and the inevitableness um, of death. And let's make it a children's movie. And Toy Story 3, brilliant film. You know? Know. But like, yeah. it's sad, right? Or, you know, Steph's least favorite movie, Inside Out, which is about... You know? Not my least favorite movie. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but like, the, like, these are Pixar films that are for children. Up is for children, but poignant story about loneliness and like losing the love of your life and then having being aimless or onward you know about losing your father and connecting with your brother like these are grown-up movies i like when we allow children's films to be talented and have interesting messages like hey you know maybe like the message of barbie is maybe feminism can be for everyone that that's kind of a neat message and i it was pg-13 but you can take a little kid there and, and i love that like this three-year-old girl who was like sitting near us seemed to get them good for her <laughs> you know like that i don't know you i think you just mentioned so many pixar movies you depressed josh into silence are you thinking about bing bong a little bit <laughs> Well, you didn't like Memento. Steph doesn't like your movie. She hates your movie. <laughs> Wait, which movie? Do I hate? It's, it's Josh's I, movie. Again, I didn't hate it. Dude, Steph doesn't like Steph Neil deGrasse Tyson Inside Out. When we, A little when, bit when we watched it. <laughs> yeah, I had. I just like in my mind, I had different expectations and was there for. We watched it on a plane. That's like this isn't scientifically accurate. I'm like. <laughs> I thought it could be like you know cartoonishly in, like accurate or at least have it just I don't know could have been done better. Right? <laughs> I will say I like Memento. Yay! I'm kind of serious. It would be very it would be very funny to me when Barbie and Oppenheimer once again get talked about because of Oscar season because I haven't. I really do. I think Barbie, uh, Barbie's right. going to get nominated for so I'm going to be right. It's going to be taught in gender studies classes now for sure. Uh-huh. Like it's going to be it's making all the money at the box office and my third thing, the third thing I said that would happen is that it was going to get nominated for Oscars and I would not be surprised if at least Ryan Gosling won for Ken because there's so much momentum behind him. He has it. He definitely has to be nominated at the very least. Well, so, okay, I don't know the win because there's a lot of potential for... uh, I think he'll be nominated. I think that... Here's where it's going to be interesting. Robert Downey Jr. has a pretty good claim for that award yeah, for Oppenheimer. True. And I think that what's going to be interesting about this Oscar season is, you know, spoilers for an upcoming show. We're going to be talking about the uh, people have asked, you know, we will be talking a bunch about the strike, the writer guild strike and the stack strike. Hannah and I have been talking about this. Movies are starting to get pulled for the fall and for the winter. It's going to be slim pickings. I don't like in a normal year. I don't know that Barbie could win. Best 
picture. But in this year, a year where Hollywood has promised the uh, Hollywood in a year where the Academy has promised that they're going to have the full 10 films from now on for the best picture nominees. Since we're going to have a lot of films canceled out of the end of the year, when Oscar season traditionally happens, there might be slimmer pickings for major awards than there normally are. So like, I think that uh, I'll give you an example, a movie that I'm very much looking forward to very much looking forward to is Challenger. I've seen the previews for it. This looks amazing. Stuff's looking at me weird. Challengers is the movie where Zendaya has a threesome in place. Oh, that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. It is a movie that if you've seen the, pre- I mean, I'm very much minimalizing it by saying she has a threesome in place tennis. Those are things that happen in the trailer. It is a movie that looks intriguing. I've not seen it at time of recording because no one has, but from the previews, it looks like somebody said, we would like to do a vehicle for Zendaya where maybe we get her some Oscar. Like that's, that appears to be the purpose. And then they work backwards from there. We would like to get Zendaya nominated for an Oscar. Let us start there and work backwards. And I believe that's what this film is. It's being pushed. It's not going to come out mm. this year because of the actor strike. I think the producers have quite rightly said, we don't want to waste our film in a market where we cannot pick Zendaya on a press junket and have her promote it. So they're pushing till next year in hope that the SAG strike is over. And that's probably the right decision. But it means that she won't be nominated for an Oscar this year, which opens the space up for Emily Blunt, for instance. Like that's kind of where I'm seeing. I think, or for Margot Ro- Roby. I, like, I think, I think that I think Margot probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Emily but, Blunt didn't really have. Much. No, she doesn't. But like, you don't get best. I mean, people have one best supporting actor on like what five minutes of screen time. Yes, but like, I think she's got a she's got a reasonable pool for best lead actress now because there's only four women in the film and she has the most talking and we're going to have a dearth of movie. That's where I think it's interesting, right? Like, like it's going to be a weird year because we're not, I don't think we're going to have. Okay. Well, that would be awesome if Ryan, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see if color purple pushes from December. That's kind of, yeah, right. And things like that. Wait, what? What's happening? As of recording, there's rumors that the color purple, which is a musical adaptation, not a remake of the Spielberg film. Okay. He's a producer alongside Oprah, Oprah, I believe. Mm -hmm. Like it looks really good. I saw the trailer, I think, in front of the Little Mermaid because Halle Bailey is in both of them. And like I think that like, you know, there there's probably at least like, you know, four or five roles that like could of of nominations that those actors could be nominated for that movie. But presuming it's anything like the original movie yes yeah but that movie is uh, the buzz is that it's good but also like there's sure. that like everything is good when it's like this early but that movie like is rumored to maybe get pushed because right. again the actors strike and it seems like we won't talk about the still length I guess for this episode but it, it seems like there's no real indication at this point that the studios are willing to go back to the bargaining table they're just right. trying to mm-hmm. make themselves look special in the press uh, but they're, right. they're trying to make themselves look reasonable we'll talk we'll talk more about yeah, yeah we'll talk more about it probably next week yeah. as we well yeah we I guess we should, shows, but. and I guess we should say too on the show that like we absolutely support the strike both strikes yeah, we not are surprising given who we are and we are not breaking any rules yes. by talking about these films and we'll talk about that next week too we, no unions well, yeah but we are pro-union yes, we are pro-strike we believe that workers should be paid a living wage and that art is important and mm-hmm. like AI isn't what studios seem to think it is but <laughs> you know all that all my point for all of that though is I think that 
if the Oscars happen this year and I think it would be a mistake to not have them happen, even from a studio point of view, it would be probably a bad idea to not do them, even if you can't have the actors show up to accept the awards, which would be the case. Like, mm. that's the weirdness. The terms of the SAG strike say that the actors can't go to award shows, mm. which means that, like, it would be a really weird Oscars to be like, and let's give extended speech time to the visual effects artist for once. Yay! <laughs> which I would love, but, like, again, we're, we, yeah, we, we're that not wouldn't be so interesting. <laughs> yes, it would be. You I think? would love for Well, me. for the general audience. <laughs> yes. Well, but the general audience has been giving up on on the Oscars for years. Anyway, my point being, in this world where they're limited at what they can do, I think that we are going to be forced to do an Oscars heavily influenced by things that came out in the front half of right, this right, year. Right. Yep. And also, the movies weren't That would be awesome year. if all the awards went to either Oppenheimer or Barbie. I mean, you know, there's, you know, I don't know, there was a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that did okay. There are things like past lives that yeah the blackening yeah. you know there's been there have been opportunities i'm just saying it's not like we're not, i don't think we're gonna have the oscar right, movie right. push that yeah. normally dominates the oscars yeah. this year it's not gonna be- we'll see because the emmys just got pushed because of the strike so right so yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting mm-hmm. and even when and if the strike ever resolves there's still going to be a dearth of content because we're not producing any new right, movies right. so like i think that whenever it happens i think just Spreading things out even because of the realities of the business right now. I think Oppenheimer and Barbie have better chances at awards than they would in a normal show. That's why I think it's, that's why I wanted to talk about it, even though this is the strike show that's next week. <laughs> also, maybe, just maybe, we could get more than two women nominated no, for Best on. Director. <laughs> oh, you're acting. I mean, that would be great, but like, are there? Past Lives is one film that like mm-hmm. has gotten some Oscar buzz. Barbie. There, there are other films directed by women, but those yeah. are like the two big the two, ones yeah. that have come out mm-hmm. that like I have heard, and it would also like it would be really interesting if Greta Gerwig finally got a yeah, that would be um, something. Yeah, I, I just I like and you know there there are movies that like I'm not suggesting this for Best Picture to be clear. Hey, you know what? Maybe Spider. Universe will get a Best Picture nomination match. I think it might have to. I think, I, no, I, I, in all seriousness, I think Spider-Verse, I think that the year might be thin enough that in order to get, no, I don't think it's going to get Best Director, but in order to get 10 films, I think Spider-Verse might have to get a nomination. Was Greta nominated for Lady Bird or for anything else? Lady Bird was nominated. Was she nominated for Director? I don't remember. So she's also done Little Women. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for, oh, by the way, if you <laughs> Google Greta Gerwig, the Barbie little stars also pop up. So for Lady Bird, she was nominated for Best Director and Best screenplay okay. and for Little Women she was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and right. I just think it could be great if one year she won for Best either Original or Adapted Screenplay because I understand why she lost 20. I don't have any complaints about him getting his due at the Oscars but Little Women was so good. I mean you know hmm. the Oscars are fraught. We've that. resolved nothing we're getting to. Yes. <laughs> we're all <Yes. laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, but, she, yeah. She, she's, I don't know if it's her sense of humor that comes out but Lady Bird was just hysterical as was Barbie so yeah. they were very I mean, enjoyable for humorous I reasons felt per- I felt personally attacked by the Pride and Prejudice joke <laughs> 
as yeah. did I feel like many women or just you know fans of Austin but I, I do think that like there is like a show worth doing about Barbie in itself because you know we did the Our American Girl show there's a lot oh, of not, Barbie lore you mean, oh, also, you mean not, Barbie this, dolls. not the movies but the yeah and then the movie yeah. too I mean there, there's yeah. a lot we didn't un- yeah. there's um, a lot that goes into like again toy studies gender studies youth culture studies you know all my stuff I mean <laughs> like, was Barbie like like Spider-Verse like a I'm not gonna say accidentally but like one of the queer films of the year in a main in like a mainstream packaging i mean again of this year sure because of this year, of this year. yeah because this year had a dearth of films in a mainstream so, packaging also right, to right. be clear no, i know what you, yeah you're not talking about indie films this yeah. year had a dearth of films and a lot of them are being pushed and a lot of them massively underperformed which was the other issue so like because of not only is everybody going on strike the cinema this summer especially but frankly for the entire year was much more down of where Hollywood expected. So also all the legacy sequels Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. did not do they all underperformed. So which like I you know I and also like the flash didn't happen. Stop trying to make it happen Warner Brothers. (laughs) Not gonna happen. They're all in Barbie now. (laughs) We've moved on. They they released it on some NFT thing which I don't even want Oh God no 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 (laughs) yeah I'm aware oh God it like the, that the fact that and we'll you know we've resolved nothing now we're because we're definitely talking about this the fact that in late 2023 we are past the halfway point of the year and it's almost august people the fact that in july 2023 warner brothers david zaslav and warner brothers decided that the way to keep this flashball rolling was to release an nf in 2023, especially NFT for the fucking Flash movie tells you everything that you need to know about David Zaslav's understanding of where the cultural zeitgeist is right now. So, like, literally, no, dude. You know, I'm sure next next I expect to see a you know an AMA on Twitter. Just imagine what Barbie would have done if they had like given it the same treatment as the Flash. Although maybe Barbie lucked out in that they did market this movie, but a lot of like the interest was organic. Like photos on Twitter were like the first time I like really saw it. The trailer mm-hmm. was very buzzy, and then Barb and Hype, like you know, people uh, yeah. on my favorite, my new favorite subreddit for n- nothing to do with reality is our box office, and everyone's like, "Can they re? Can studios recreate Barbenheimer?" And everyone's like, "No, because no, like this is organic. Yes, like like if They're you try, try and recreate it, it's not gonna happen." Yeah, Mattel is going full steam ahead and trying. They've got forty five pictures that they're trying to like green light. Fourteen of them are in active production because Hollywood has once again. They learned the exact wrong lesson. So there are active production films about Hot Wheels, about Matchbox cars, my favorite about Viewmaster, and about fucking Magic 8-Ball. All in active development. <laughs> Magic 8-Ball, at least you can tell like I can story from Magic 8-Ball. You can do like a Ouija board kind, yeah. of, kind of horror story. Horror story yeah. There is no story that you can do that is interesting about the Viewmaster movie. Everything well, that I know of is a cultural theorist. Now, I want you to, I'm saying this. You never on, know. I, no, I'm saying this live on the air so that people can play it back to me if I'm wrong in three years and like the Viewmaster movie has been become a critical <laughs> darling that's made four billion dollars at the box office. Fine. Come take my degrees, okay? But like I'm telling you, there is nothing about the concept of Viewmaster that says, yeah, that's what the kids are looking for. So, anyway, it's we've resolved that. Like coming out of that. <laughs> See, Josh is ready with his pitch. Yeah. Okay. 
Anyway, Josh and Stephanie, thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Uh, Steph, anything you want to promote? I don't want to promote, but I just want to say R.I.P. Sinead O'Connor. Oh, well, just, that was a terrible Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yes, yes, Sinead O'Connor died this week. Yeah, I've been, been watching videos on YouTube of Sinead the past couple of days. All right. And Josh, anything you'd like to promote? Sure. Yeah. Just, you know, in my day to day life, I just want to plug eLocal Legal Services Corporation funded agencies. Legal Services Corporation is a congressional agency that provides funding for free legal services in civil cases across the country. They do, I work for one in North Carolina, and we do great work for low income citizens across the state. Definitely encourage if you're looking for a place to make a donation. Legal Services Corporation funded agencies are a great place to help your community. Absolutely. And found once again, I'd like to plug the National Network of Abortion Funds because everyone deserves reproductive health care. Hallelujah. <laughs> and as always, oh, wow, this is going to be weird. So my outro plug where I say, as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. I do that. But then for the last year or so, I always say Twitter if it still exists. OK. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook or X.com, I guess. I, was, I thought I was like literally like shitter now like and i'm not it's cursing so it's like x-i-t-e-r like <laughs> or something it is no it's just i mean and that might also point to that but like even as recently as last week i made the joke twitter if it still exists and by the time last week's episode dropped twitter didn't exist anymore <laughs> or it does but it's officially elon has is determined to drive this into the ground and i'm there to watch so i'm still on twitter or x or whatever always at chris maverick you can also find me saying much of the same stuff as I say there on Instagram, Facebook, reds.com, blue sky, Mastodon, when I remember that Mastodon is a thing, which is a lot of times I forget, but I'm around on social media. You can follow the show right now just on Twitter and Facebook, but yeah, you know, we'll work on getting show sites up on other stuff, but at Vox Podcast, you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpodcast.com where we talk about what we're going to be talking about next week. There's off comments up. You know, I, we've already spoiled it. Next week's show should be about Hollywood unions and why they're important and the cultural significance of the strikes. And, we're, you know, we've got a couple of experts that are coming on to talk about that. So that should be fun. So, you know, go check out those blogs, leave us comments, leave us questions that you'd like us to talk about, you know, during the course of the show. We would really appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or I guess you could subscribe on Stitcher, but that's going away too. So iTunes or Spotify, Pandora, wherever the hell you get podcasts from, subscribe and do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes podcast, that boosts the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Stephanie and Josh once again for joining us. I'd like to thank Maximilian Thought for Music for our epic theme song building ever somewhere epic game playing us out. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.